0: We just pray again for uh, uh, the next few minutes. Father, we pray for your blessing, Lord, and the words that that I speak, Lord, but not not for me, Lord, but for all of us, that, Lord, every single one of us, Father, um, won't even hear what's written down, Father, that we will hear what your spirit wants to say to each one of our hearts. Father, I pray that whether we know you or not, um, that you would speak to us, that, Lord, you would take these words, Father, and that you would clean them and wash them and may they honour you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is that time when we uh, remember back to those two world wars primarily. Um, we don't remember war as such, but more the devastation, the volume of devastation of those two wars, and the numbers of injured and killed. Um, the numbers of those who died in World War I and World War II are notoriously difficult to get right um, because it depends on who you include, who don't include, civilians, those who were wounded and died years later. Two figures which hopefully a, a, a near and give you some idea world war one apparently 16 million died and that number would rise if you included civilians so i read world war ii is nearer 50 million there's been some discussion this year in the press about what poppy to wear uh, if one at all whether you wear the white one or the four leaf one or whether you don't wear one at all and whatever you've decided this morning is between you and god and your conscience and your decision But we all ought to be united on one reason this morning, couldn't we? Not to glorify war, but to mark the terrible cost that is left on the human race. Not just for the generations involved, but across many generations, even after peace had been declared. We remember, of course, that moment when the Great War came to an end and the end of World War II. And we rightly thank God for those endings. We thank God for the relief the nations felt. But we call to truth and call to mind the truth that since the end of World War II, war has not ceased. The First Gulf War claimed the lives of a million people. The Korean War in 1950 apparently claimed the lives of 1.2 million people. The conflict in Afghanistan, 2 million. The Nigerian Civil War, 3 million. The Vietnam Conflict, 3.8 million. And the Second Congo War, apparently 5.4 million people. And that isn't even the tip of the iceberg. We haven't even mentioned countries like Libya and Syria and the different types of wars people fight. We remember today that since about 3000 BC, the experts tell us that this world has only known about 280 years of relative peace from major conflicts since 3000 BC. No wonder that most people fear for the future. And with the rise of Islamic fundamentalism, tensions with North Korea and the US... Most people would rather only think of today and have no real hope for tomorrow. And what can we say to a world that doesn't like to look forward and when it does? It only sees worsening trouble. What can we say to a world that feels fear in the face of its tomorrows? One thing. The king is coming. There is hope. Hope can be had in this war-wrecked world. There is hope because Jesus Christ and his kingdom and his perfect rule and his justice and his victory over darkness is near. It isn't far, it is near. When peace comes on this earth, history whispers, don't get too comfortable, it won't last. But when trouble comes, heaven shouts, don't lose hope because God has it under control and Jesus Christ is coming soon. And right before Jesus' birth, many hundreds of years, the Israelites, God's people in the Old Testament, felt frightened at their present dangers. They felt weary for their future, and they did not feel full of hope at all. God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament, had been attacked, they'd been pillaged, they'd been killed, and they'd then been exiled to the kingdom of the Babylonians, the then world power. 70 years they were captured and occupied by someone else 70 years passed. that kingdom had morphed into the Persian empire having been taken over by Cyrus and all of his um, power 70 years in exile for God's people and finally one day peace would come King Cyrus said enough is enough go home Go home and rebuild your city, rebuild your temple, and rebuild your lives. And under the leadership of men like Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, the Israelites marched home. Weary and battered, they went home to rebuild everything they possibly could. And it all started all right until the neighboring people opposed them. What are you doing? Stop it. And guess what? They lost heart. They couldn't look forward. They had no hope. God's temple lay in tatters and life seemed too much for them. The rebuilding of their lives and God's temple was put on hold for 16 years because of the opposition of their neighbours. They would weep and they would not bring themselves to look forward, only back. All hope was gone. Hope was in the past. How many people today feel exactly the same? I can't go on. I've got nothing to live for. I have no strength to rebuild my life again. And so they grind to a tragic halt. So what does God do? Nothing? No. God sends his people two men, Haggai and Zechariah. Zechariah, a prophet probably born whilst in exile, delivers an apocalyptic message to this downcast people in his book, Zechariah, if you've got it open. He offers them a God-inspired glimpse of heaven, of the reality of what God was actually doing and would do for his people. And the effect of this apocalyptic message in Zechariah, they completed the temple two years later. Chapter 9 of Zechariah is perhaps the most well-known bit of his book, Uh, a message from God that's amazing from start to finish, but perhaps the most well-known part. I'd like to read it to you. Zechariah 9, verses 9 to 13. He writes, "'Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion,' or daughter Zion. "'Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, "'righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, "'on a colt, the the foal of a donkey.'" And I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you i will bend judah as i bend my bow I will fill it with ephraim i will rouse your son zion against your son's greece and i will make you like a warrior's sword you may re- see uh, palm sunday in that jesus when he rode into jerusalem on a donkey when they shouted hosanna was saying i am that king i am the one who has come to bring peace but what was this message to these Israelites? What was this message in the book of Zechariah? The book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, starts like this. Cheer up. You're not supposed to say that to people who are downcast. That's the first thing you're told. Never say it to someone who's had enough, cheer up. I don't like it. It doesn't work. But it doesn't work when it's empty exhortation. Cheer up, get over it. Never really worked, did it? But this is a command to rejoice based on the most wonderful fact. God calls them daughter Jerusalem, daughter Zion. This soft, caring language. Rejoice, God says to them. Cheer up. Why? Because your king is on his way. Your king is coming. He's near. He's not coming on a horse to fight. He's coming on a donkey to bring peace. Horses were for war. Donkeys were for peace. When your king comes in peace, it will be their peace. All those years of oppression... When they return to rebuild, perhaps they thought peace would be in their hands. But peace is going to come from their king when he finally arrives. Why should they rejoice? Well, verse 10 says, he's going to take away the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will remove those objects of war from his people and he will reign across the globe and he will bring peace and justice. Hallelujah. How wonderful would it be for this battered, bruised, broken people to hear this message. How wonderful would it be for their hearts to be prized open with hope. How beautiful to hear that it's all going to be okay. Good. But it just gets so much better. Verse 11, it says, As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. This king isn't just any old king. He is their king God remembers his covenant that he made with them and so he is coming for them he is coming for their redemption and in fact in the Hebrew version of the Old Testament the book of Zechariah isn't called Zechariah at all it is called Yahweh remembers what book we're reading from today chapter 2 of Yahweh remembers because our God never forgets his people even in the face and the reality of death Yahweh remembers always remembers Yahweh is the Old Testament Hebrew word for God he is what he is I am who I am what a thing to hear that God's king is on his way hang in there hold on don't give up he will set you free he will win he has remembered you and then in verse 12 which is my most favorite verse of the Bible this week it changes every week God says Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. It is the most awesome phrase I think I've ever heard. They are captive by bitterness. They are prisoners of despair. And God says, no, 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 no. From now on you will be held captive by hope. Because God's coming for you. And because of this truth of the king who will arrive, they're not to be those prisoners, they're to be set free. Today, are we held captive by our hope in Christ? Do we listen to the words of bad men and women across the world? Do we look at our world and think darkness is winning? Do we despair of the future? Do we hold our ticket for heaven, hoping that we can go sooner rather than later? And as the bombs drop or whoever comes to us, we think, get me out of here, Lord. I'm not even a celebrity, but get me out of here, Please. Are we that sort of Christian? We hang on to our ticket hoping to avoid trouble because we think trouble will win. We, if you think that, are wrong. In this broken world, there is only one victory and it is not the victory of evil. It is the victory of Christ the King. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth As it is in heaven, his kingdom will have no end. He has already overcome the world. He has already defeated darkness. He has made a fall of death. Heaven laughs at it because it is mocked at the cross. God will win. No, God has won. He's going to roll up this world like a dirty garment. He is going to make all things new. He will remake Eden. The lion will lie down with the lamb. We will never say to each other, know the Lord, because we will all know him. We will see the new Jerusalem come down from heaven, beautifully adorned as a bride for husband. And we will know forever here. And there will be no more darkness, because God's light will light the whole earth. Without Christ, everybody's destiny is hopelessness. But in Christ, we have a hope that can neither fade nor spoil, no matter what people do to us. So it's time, people of God, children of the King, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, the risen one who is coming again, it's time to start standing on that hope to look at darkness and don't see it winning, but know that it has a shelf life, that it will end. We need to speak that truth into a world that always grinds to a halt and say this darkness will be overcome. The gates of hell will be smashed by the advancing kingdom of light and the children of the king i heard something yesterday i was at a conference and a guy that runs a group called international justice ministries you may have heard of and they go into places and they they work with people who are um receive violence and treated badly they work mainly with people in the human trafficking um trade the sex uh, the people trafficking slave trade 46 million people on this planet are in slavery many of them children many of them in the sex slave trade it is horrendous they're winning right 46 million, what can you or I do? IJM, normal men and women, they go to those places all over the world and do you know what they do? They fight, not literally, but they have lawyers and they have prayer and they have brave men and women who are no different to you or me. And they go in and they bring them home. They gather up little girls and little boys from the streets and they educate them and they keep them safe. Why? Why? Because they know... The darkness will lose. And he said one phrase, which is my new favorite phrase, not just this week, forever. He said, God's people must charge the darkness. No, nothing? Charge the darkness. Fight it. Do you believe that? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Too many Christians, too many churches retreat and defend he said, God invites us to go on the offensive, to fight the darkness, to charge it, to push it back, to smash the gates of hell. Not because they attack us, because we attack it. And we take back people that are held in chains because they are ours and they are gods and we love them even though we don't even know them. So, so go, so go home. <laughs> but don't go home in retreat, at a scary world. But go home in opposition, to this darkness wherever you find it go home in confidence that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and against us and go and declare to us scared and to the lost that our king is near and he will be their king if they would just give their lives to him and turn from their sin he is coming to judge the living and the dead so be of good courage Christ has overcome the world. Let's pray before we sing a final song. Lord God, I just want to give you, Lord, everything we've talked of this morning. Lord, we remember the wars, we remember the deaths, and Lord, they are awful. Father, we, we put ourselves at your mercy, Father. We include ourselves in those that need your forgiveness for spreading anger and bitterness and disharmony. Lord, we may not have directly started wars, but who knows what we haven't stopped by not forgiving and by not loving and by not going the way of peace. But Lord, I want to ask forgiveness for the times your church on this earth has been in retreat. And Lord, it's been in retreat for far too long. We have hidden in our buildings and we have argued about colours of walls, of paint pots, and who's doing what when we should be fighting the darkness. Father God, stir your people up, Father God, to spread the message of hope that the King is near. we have the privilege of being his people, and Father, I just pray that we would be and fulfill that privilege. Father God, it is our highest calling. In Jesus' name.